there is no place Jesus won't go to save. No crosses he will not bear, no darkness he won't enter, no hells to which he won't descend to seek and save the lost. He sails from the safe confines of Galilee to the Gentile country of the Gerasenes, and there he is met by a man who was plagued by demons, many demons, so many demons that they are simply calling themselves legion. He lived in isolation, shackled and under guard, away from the city and its people and children. He lived among the tombs with the dead, being dead to the world, a literal dead man walking, unfit for civilization, possessed by a legion of demons who would drive him naked and screaming into the wilderness. This man inspires our terror and sympathy at one and the same time. We feel for his plight and his condition, and yet we're terrified of such. And unlike Jesus, we turn our eyes away. We would rather avoid contact. He's like the homeless we meet on the street corners and in front of the supermarket pushing their carts. Many people are afraid of them. Certainly they'll push their children away or they'll cross the street in order to avoid them, something that we can't really imagine Jesus doing. This man was, of course, much, much worse. We've lost our sense of the demonic today. That's both good and not so good. The devil should neither be taken too seriously nor too lightly. Our error is to take him much too lightly. He's a Halloween costume at most. We tend to think in terms of mental illness today. Instead of tombs, this man would probably be institutionalized Instead of shackles, he'd be drugged and perhaps confined. He'd be largely forgotten by society and by his own family. And we'd be relieved to have him off the streets and safely away from our homes and schools and parks. And there was no help for this man. I'm sure that the Jewish exorcists had been called in and had tried. They did have exorcists, but none of them apparently could help this man. On earth is not his equal, Luther said of the devil in his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress, and he was right. We're no match for this roaring lion and his demons. The best they could do for this man was to keep him bound in chains and under guard and out of sight and leave him to roam, if that were the case, among the dead until Jesus came to town. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? That's what the demon growls at him. They knew who Jesus was. He's their master, too and they tremble in fear at the sight of him. They know the power of Jesus' word, and they know that their time is short. I beg you, the demon says, do not torment me. 
They plead for mercy, but Jesus has not come to show mercy to the devil and his demons. He's come to judge them and to undo their work. So they try to negotiate with him because they know their fate, the abyss, their place of eternal torment and imprisonment. They bargain for a herd of pigs instead. Why did Jesus give them permission to destroy other people's property? The pigs, unclean animals that they were, had no business being in Israel where they polluted the land. And so they become demon-possessed pigs that rush headlong down a steep bank and into the lake and are drowned. And all this right in front of the herdsmen looking on, watching their prophets go over a cliff into the sea. The miracle is also a picture preview of the judgment of the devil and his demons when they will be cast into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night forever and ever. The unclean spirits are cast into the unclean pigs and thrown into the depths. One little word can fell him again from Luther. No wonder these people ask Jesus to leave town. This was just over-the-top weird, frightening. And this Jesus guy is just too much trouble to have around. Meanwhile, the man is now clothed and in his right mind, just like that, no extensive rehab, nothing, just a word from Jesus, the demons depart, and the man's life and mind is in order again. Everything that had plagued him is gone, and all with nothing more than simply a word from Jesus. He wanted to follow Jesus, makes sense, join Jesus's band of disciples or groupies, go back to Galilee with Jesus, who could blame him. He wanted to be a part of this man's group who had literally saved his life from a legion of demons. But Jesus had other plans for him. He sent him away back to his home. He would be Jesus's man on the ground among the Gentiles. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you, Jesus says. He's of much more use to Jesus where he is to declare the praises of him who called him out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And that's what he did. He told everyone in the whole city what Jesus had done for him, and you can be sure the people listened. Our terrors and curiosities are aroused by stories such as this. We want to know more about the dark and horrible realm of the demonic. There are TV shows and movies about this kind of stuff. Skeptics scoff at the whole thing and call it silly superstition. Others are terrified by it and find a demon under every rock and in every closet. We speculate about the truly horrible things that we hear on the news, and yet for many they are also fascinating. Hence, the popularity of shows like Criminal Minds, which is still running somewhere out there. And there's plenty of raw material out there as well causing plenty of buzz on daytime talk shows. Chris Watts is receiving dozens of love letters while in prison for killing his pregnant wife, Shannon, 
who had two daughters, ages three and four, on August 13th. He had a mistress, and he wanted to be free. Initially, he tried to blame Shannon for killing the girls, but this defense quickly collapsed as he led authorities to the oil tanks in which he had placed his daughter's bodies. He's now serving three consecutive life sentences. This doesn't deter women from declaring their undying love for him. And now that she's dead, marriage proposals are in order. What's wrong with people? Why do they do such crazy things? Why does someone get a gun and go to a school and shoot how many children? What gets into them? If we see evil around us, where does that come from? There's no good that comes from the darkness, only death and destruction. There is such a creature as the devil, Satan, the evil one, the father of lies and a murderer. He tempted Eve, our mother, to disobey God's word. He stalks about like a roaring lion, St. Peter says in his first letter, seeking the stray and the weak in the herd, looking for someone to devour. There are demons and forces of darkness operating in the world. The Apostle Paul refers to them as the powers and principalities and rulers of the present darkness, and yet they keep their heads down in an age that is secular and disbelieving. We are not as bad off as that poor man in the Gerasene country yet. We have homes. We have our sanity, mostly. If there is a legion of demons, they're pretty much quiet, and our sins are mostly respectable. But the darkness is just as deep, really. The bonds that hold us captive to sin and death are just as strong as the chains that bound that man. We walk in the valley of the shadow of death each and every day of our lives, usually unaware of the forces of evil that surround us. There are occasional outbursts where pure and unvarnished evil rears its ugly head and draws our attention. The mass shootings at schools and theaters and college campuses and churches are one example. Another is the couple who wanted a child who cut the baby out of a pregnant lady they lured on the web by the offer of free baby clothes. We may call the perpetrators insane, because that's the best description we have. But underlying it all is a demonic darkness that we oftentimes don't even want to discuss. We are powerless against this, but Christ isn't. He entered this present darkness to bring the light of his life. He was stripped naked on the cross, as naked as that poor man of the Gerasenes. Adam's shame is exposed to the whole world so that the children of Adam might be clothed and in our right minds, clothed with Christ in his resurrection through their baptism. There is no darkness Jesus hasn't entered, no death that he hasn't died, no sin that he hasn't borne, no hell into which he has not descended. There is no place where Jesus is not Lord. You are baptized into Christ, freed from the chains of sin and death. 
clothed with the robe of Jesus' righteousness. His holy angels are there to protect and defend you. Jesus is the healing of your mind as well as of your body and soul. He sets our minds right again in repentance, a change of mind, a healing of the mind. Whatever plagues you, whatever troubles you, whatever isolates you from others and drives you into your own personal hell, Jesus has dealt with it in his death. You are a child of light, a child of the day, a child of God. Jesus' death and life are yours. His body and his blood are yours. His words of life ring in your ears. He is your mighty fortress, your shield, your strength against the terrible forces of darkness and death. And so you can return to your home, your life, your life's calling, your family and friends and neighbors, and declare how much God has done for you. He has called you out of darkness to live in his marvelous light. He's forgiven you, raised you, clothed you, fed you, freed you, glorified you. You're baptized, freed from the law, St. Paul said that in the epistle, children of God, heirs of eternal life, clothed together with Christ's righteousness. You have his spirit to ward off the unclean spirits, the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, from the depths of your heart to the very heart of God. You are no longer a slave, but a son or daughter, an heir. You're free. So much to tell, so much to receive. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.